Simon and Wayne's Spiffing Review, with your hosts, Simon Jones and Wayne Bolt. Hello! Hello! And welcome to this week's episode of Spiffing Review, with me, Simon Jones, and me, Wayne Bolt. We're here to take a look at the latest Harry Potter film, as well as taking a look back at a classic from last year? Last year, it was, yeah, last year. Yes, so we're we're going back in time even more than we normally do. Mm. Um, And also, of course, going to the trailer park, which is where we're kicking off. Kicking off, yes, and we're going to kick off with American Horror Story. Yes. A very, very short trailer. I think this is probably the shortest trailer we've ever had in the trailer park. Yeah, because obviously you have main trailers, and you have teaser trailers, and I'm not sure this is either of those. This is a single... Like a scene setter. Yes, maybe uh, kind of sets the tone, maybe. Um, it, it seemed to be essentially a creepy child's face or a doll's face. Yes. And then stopped. Uh, and with an eerie rendition of Tainted Love. Yes, that was quite good, actually. The song I quite like that, yes. And, and then some eerie Facebook icons. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, it's written by Tim Minear of Heroes fame. Yeah, okay. And directed by Ryan Murphy. Uh, Ryan sh- Murphy's come from a lot of television uh, work. Are you sure Tim Minear is Heroes? I thought Tim Minear was a Joss Whedon alumni. He was, but then he went and did Heroes. Did he? Oh, that's a yes. shame. Well, because he also did Firefly. I feel like we should say of Firefly fame, okay. not Heroes fame, because it sounds better, because Heroes got a bit arse. Okay, of Firefly and then Heroes. Yeah, fame. But now American Horror Story. Woo! Yeah, uh, yeah. For fifteen seconds worth of trailer, um, it's very spook and gripping, and oh, I don't even know what's going on. It might be rubbish. It's just a very good fifteen <laughs> seconds of trailer. Yeah, and oh, I always quite like it when trailer people try to do something slightly different, uh, and yes. this certainly was. Um, yeah, it might it'd be interesting to see how it plays in cinema because obviously we see these things on IMDb.com yes. on their latest HD trailers, uh, and how it would play in a cinema when you get this, this tiny little freaky thing. In the dark, in a big room full of people, that could be quite interesting. Yeah. So, uh, what did you give that then, Simon? Um, Gertie wise. Yeah, I didn't really get as far as the Gertie because there's not quite enough there for <laughs> me right, to okay. Gertify it. Um, but yeah, not certainly, certainly intriguing. But I feel like I, I need to see more. Okay. Well, I'll give it a smiley face just to keep to our what we do in the trailer part. Yeah. Well, they, they did something different with their trailer, so I'm doing something different with my rating. Okay. Right. Next, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Yes. This is a very tense trailer. Yes. For uh, a no- a film version of the novel by John Le Carre, which is also a BBC show, um, which had Alec Guinness. Yes, quite a renowned interpretation of it. Yes, you ever seen that? I think I might have seen bits, but I was a bit young at the time. Yeah, it never seemed to get repeated at a time when I wasn't wanted to watch it. Yes, and I believe this is directed by the same guy that did Let the White One In, which is Thomas Alfredson. Yes, uh, that's the original Let the White One In rather than the American remake. Um, uh, so, yeah, that that was a pretty stunning yeah. film. So, um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is a Cold War thriller about a British agent, or I believe a retired British agent, George Smiley, who has to catch a spy who's within the ranks of MI6. Yes, and they've assembled a Harry Potter-style cast of amazing British actors. Indeed. Uh, oh, including Gary Oldman, Colin Firth, John Hurt, and many, many others. Yes, Kieran Hines, who's also always great and uh, often underused. I think he had a brief part in Harry Potter, actually, at the end. I suspect so. Yes, he, he is British, after <laughs> yeah. all, and an actor. Yeah, and they're all trying to get their last few pennies worth before the franchise comes to an end. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, as you said earlier, Simon, it's a very tense trailer. Yeah, uh, I thought for... did a really good job, because, you know, obviously this is going to be a proper thriller, um, but actually making that kind of... 
atmosphere in a trailer is rather hard. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I was completely gripped by the end. I could have just sat there watching it for another two hours, I think. Uh, with then that, that's with the that film, cast. Yes, well, exactly. But that's yeah. what a trailer's meant to do, isn't it? Yes. So, uh, well yeah. done. Yes, trailer. congratulations, <laughs> trailer people. Uh, massive smiley face for me. Yeah, smiley face for me as well. That's a no-brainer for that one, really. Yes, yeah, really looking forward to that. Okay, right. So next, our third uh, instalment from the trailer park is Red Tails. Yeah, this is something that's been brewing for years and years and years. It's kind of a George Lucas pet project. Yes. And he was talking about it when he was making the prequels as like the thing he wanted to do next. The prequels of... Uh, Star, Star Wars, Wars. Yeah. this sci-fi franchise he did for a few years yeah. um, and he has not actually directed it but it's, it's a good sign yeah so it could be good and he's not written uh, a screenplay either no no but he has got his special effects company to work on it no. so yeah <laughs> so it's basically the best combination of George Lucas talent yes. there so anyway it, yeah Red Tails it's directed by Anthony Hemingway who I believe has done something on The Wire Yes, he's done various yeah. TV shows, yeah. I think, of high caliber. So, written by George Lucas, as we said. Uh, screenplay by John Ridley. Starring Brian Cranston, who you may remember from Babylon 5. Oh, really? Who was he in Babylon 5? He was the ranger who was on the White Star that got sent off to give the... Uh, in the precursor to the finalisation of the this is a very long the Shadows right. and the Vorlons. Is he the one that sacrifices himself? Yes, he is, yeah. He's really good in that episode. Yeah. Yeah, only one episode of Babylon 5. Yeah, but it's one of those roles that if you don't get a great actor, the whole scene just yeah. fails. So it works very well. Yeah. Uh, also, Malcolm in the Middle, I think he's probably more famous for. Okay. He plays the dad in Malcolm in the Middle. Uh, okay. Mm. Uh, also, starring Cuba Gooding Jr. Yes. Um, from Rat Race. Is that his best known film? <laughs> That's the one I know him for. <laughs> and Terence Howard, who is in Iron Man. Yes, but not Iron Man 2. No. Are we saying Iron Man? Now, Iron Man. Not Iron Man, yeah. <laughs> no, well, Iron Man. Yeah, okay. <laughs> why not? Um, so the film's about World War II fighter pilots. They're the first African-American fighter pilots to see combat. And this film follows a story. There's a lot of use of air combat, which is really good. Yes. Uh, so I'm wondering mm-hmm. if, because uh, George Lucas is involved, if when they're making up the mock-ups of this film, if they took a lot of the footage from Star Wars and put that together to give the idea of World War Two combat. Yeah, because it, it is like Star Wars, but in World War Two. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a film isn't what it was wanted to make, isn't it's it? It's come full circle, I think. Yeah. Because yeah. when he did the original mock-ups of Star Wars, of course, he did use the footage of uh, a World War Two fighter films. Yep. Um for the TIE fighter and X-Wingy stuff. Is that good? Yeah. Um, and yeah, the, 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 air, the air stuff looks amazing. Mm. Uh, I'm quite excited about seeing that using modern tech because when was the last time we saw that sort of thing? There's like little bits in Saving Private Ryan and that kind of stuff. And then there was obviously Memphis Bell back in the early 90s, late 80s. Yeah, well, I don't think we've really had a decent fighter combat kind of thing actually since Star Wars. No, no, possibly not. And then before that, you got to look back at some of the World War Two movies. Yeah, um, where, where they actually yeah. flew planes but, at each other. But nothing, there's nothing I've seen which um, really has come close to giving the excitement of um, Star Wars Episode Four, I suppose we ought to call it, mm-hmm. um, and also Return of the Jedi. But it's basically the same film as, as Star Wars, yes. the taking on the Death Star and whatnot. But yeah, you know, I've not really seen any modern science fiction which has managed to capture that whole mm-hmm. essence of what the Starfighter. Or um, dogfight dog experience, fight, yeah, I think it should be. And obviously, this isn't just about dogfighting; it's also no, about the racial issues of the time. Um, yes, which and it follows still... the story of, of this uh, of the Red Wings. I, mean, I believe the Red Wings must be the squadron mm-hmm. um, who the African Americans 
um, or join in and start yeah. fighting amongst It's basically them trying to prove to the establishment that black people can fly planes. Yes. Um, which at the time was surprisingly difficult to do by the looks of things. Um, so yeah, it looks looks really good, essentially. Um, my only concern is uh, getting the right balance in terms of the important themes it's covering, because it could very easily tip over into being quite preachy, Yeah. Um, as any film that's dealing with important issues can do. So as long as it can strike a kind of subtle balance where it gets its points over in a effective manner, uh, I think, yeah, it could be a winner. Well, let's hope that Lucas has returned to form with some of his better storytelling because he, he's undoubtedly very good at telling stories yes he's yeah. also undoubtedly very bad at telling stories yes he's good at coming up with the initial story but actually translating that from his brain onto a film doesn't always go so yes. well anyway so, we're waffling yeah. a bit that's too much um, Gertie for this one smiley face yeah smiley face yeah have high hopes so yes. next up we have In Time yeah directed by Andrew Nichol and starring Justin Timberlake Amanda Seyfield and Killian Murphy Yes, and Olivia Wilde, who appears to be in everything at the moment. Oh, very popular lass. Yes. Uh, this looks like proper sci-fi, uh, albeit mixed in with some action and stuff. But it's a proper, nice, short science fiction kind of concept, whereby people appear to have a finite amount of time yeah, to live. Yeah, it's a bit Logan's runny. Yes, except they can, well, it appears they can buy extra time. Yes. But they've also halted ageing. So people remain at a, a comfortable 25 years old or something. Uh, but if they actually want to keep living, they have to pay for it. Yeah, and it's so much a case that the poor are the ones who have to do the work, and they will die and expire if they don't bank enough credits, whereas the rich can seemingly live forever because mm. they're rich. And then uh, some characters in the film decide to start subverting this system. Yes. Um, so yeah, I think it's a really interesting setup. It's just a matter of whether they explore it properly or whether it's just going to descend into a typical Hollywood action film. Yeah, I didn't get the feeling from the trailer that it's actually going to be anything new or exciting or special. I think the overwhelming thing I got was the fact it's just a a bit of an odd take on modern society and Logan's run. Mm. Yeah, and there's nothing really there which I thought, ooh, that's really exciting and new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm going to remain hopeful because uh, sometimes these sci-fi films aren't maybe marketed as well as they should be, as we've mentioned on the trailer part before. Yes. Uh, like if you look at the new Planet of the Apes film, yes, or the, the Planet of the, Planet of the Rise of the movie, the of the Planet of the, of the Apes of the world, um, the early trailers for that were atrocious, and yet the very last trailer was better, and now the film is out, it's having extremely strong word. Yes. Uh, so this may well be a similar case of interesting ideas, but not sold particularly well. Well, let's hope so. Um, for me, though, this trailer only really deserves an ambivalent face. I'm hoping there's more to it than what there is, but I wasn't really convinced by it. Mm-hmm. I've got a, a smiley face, but with slight reservations. Okay. So next, we move on to The Darkest Hour. Yes, this is a film set in Russia, following a group of young Americans, I believe, as aliens invade the planet. Well, are they meant to be Americans, or just Americans playing Russians? I don't know. Uh, I thought they were meant to be Americans on some kind of field trip, but it's hard to tell. They could just be going down the Sean Connery style of acting, different internationalities. Uh, <laughs> One accent. Yes. Yeah, um, I, I got the vibe it is very much a sort of Cloverfield kind of setup where mm-hmm. you start with a, a group of young parties, um, and then and then the invasion happens. It's an alien invasion movie, which we haven't seen for a while. Yep, yeah, it's good to see that making a big return, Yeah, because uh, it's been a couple of weeks at least. Um, yeah, my two main concerns with this are, one, it's directed by the guy that did Wanted, and Wanted is a truly awful film. Um, I don't think the comic's meant to be as bad as the film, but the film was 
a complete mess. Uh, didn't know what kind of tone it was trying to set, so that could be a big problem here as well. And also, despite this interesting setup where you've got quite an intriguing alien which you can't see and goes around dematerializing stuff, so it's not yes. just giant spaceships and that kind of thing. It's kind of a new new idea there, but it looks like the film just ends up being big guns. They, yeah. just, they just get some big guns and shoot them. Oh, yeah, but the young Muscovites, or Americans, or Americavites, I don't know what we're going to call them, they do have a, a cool way of finding where the aliens are, which is for the use of handfuls of light bulbs. Yes, and electrical devices. So, yeah, yeah that was all kind of cool. But if the resolution to this alien problem is just to get big guns and bazookas, then mm, what's the point? Because we've know. seen that a million times. Oh, it looks like the aliens are all going to be electricity-based, so I imagine rubber's going to come into it somewhere. Well, let's hope so. Yes, indeed. I mean, um, maybe they can just blow the fuse. That would sort it. That would do, wouldn't yeah. it? Uh, well, the aliens, as we know, have got three phases to their to plan, as it's spelt out in the trailer. Uh, phase one, seize the planet. Right. Phase two, devour all energy. Mm-hmm. And phase three, I was hoping phase three was going to be profit, but it's not. It's destroy all life, including dogs. This is the film that's not afraid to evaporate dogs on screen. Yes, actually, that was really good, because... A big problem with the kind of apocalyptic disaster movie genre is that dogs always survive. Yes. And this really pisses me off. Ronan Emmerich is, is a big problem here. Uh, Independence Day, the dog... In fact, the point in Independence Day where it goes from quite a cool sci-fi movie to utter rubbish is the exact moment where the dog survives. All the way up to that point, it's really good. From after that, it's terrible. Oh, yeah, that's in the tunnel, isn't it? Yes, where exactly. It comes out. Great build-up, and then it goes... And the same thing happened in 2012. Didn't yes, it? exactly. They had the dog in it, and I thought, ah, Roland Emmerich's going to apologise for that stupid dog in Independence Day. Mm. And then the dog gets this extended action sequence oh. <laughs> and survives again. Yeah, um, but one of the humans, I can't remember which one it was, has to sacrifice himself because they're the stupid dog. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah, it was. I'm it not was... against dogs, but. No, I've got nothing, you know, I don't want to see dogs killed no. or anything. Um, no, we're not like that here. No, no. We, we, you know, animals can, can live yeah. free. But, you know, if aliens are invading, then, you know, all animals have got to be sort yes. of fair game. Equal opportunity, death Killers. and apocalypse. Yeah. Yes. So um, good on you, darkest hour aliens. Exactly. We're going after our canine friends. Yeah, yeah. I think, um... And why stop there? Well, I hope we get to see lots of other animals die as well. <laughs> yeah, squirrels. Yeah, definitely them. Foxes. Yep. Yeah, Badges. Be great. Yep, absolutely. Ferrets. Bears. Yeah. They're, they're big in Russia. Yes. Yeah, they're big in most places. That's true. But, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so these, these are ways the film could be really good. <laughs> But I have a nasty feeling it's just going to end up being a bit of a damp squid. Yeah, or squid. Or damp squid. Yes. <laughs> Dependent if Chris O'Dowd or not. Um, so, ambivalent face for me. Yeah, ambivalent for me. There are some nice ideas, and it, you know, if it embraces those, it could be good. If it turns into... Skyline. Yeah, basically. Um, and if there's maybe another dog in the film that does survive, then yeah, it's not going to yeah. be worth it. This film's on a precipice. It is. If yeah. you go one or two ways. So that's yeah. why it's ambivalent for me. Okay. Oh, I'm calmed down after that now. Well, we don't normally rant about animal death on the, this podcast, so maybe. if you're new to the show... Maybe we should. We might yeah. get more listeners you know, from Petter or something. Yeah. yeah. If you enjoy listening to us talk about animals dying in varied ways, why not contact us to let us know? Yes, and we can maybe find some more videos of animals being killed. Yeah. Excellent. So, <laughs> favourite trailer of the week, Wayne? Oh, oh no. This is quite tricky, this, because there's three good trailers there. Um... I think I'm going to have to go for um, American Horror Story because it's the one which leaves me wanting to see more. Ah, most. intriguing. But for the film, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Yes, uh, I'm, I'm going to go for Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy because I thought the trailer 
set the tone brilliantly, but without giving it away too much, because I'm not actually familiar with the story, and I'm, I still don't really have a clue what's going to happen in it. I just know that I want to find out. Yeah. But likewise, Red Tails also looks quite good. Yes, so a good batch of trailers. Yes. Okay. Going on to Movie Watch, where we will quickly whip through some interesting films we've seen in the last few weeks. Okay. So let's kick off with The King's Speech. The King's Speech. Yes, we're a bit behind times here. This we are. We just caught up this. Yes, it was uh, quite a big film and did, did fairly well. Got some quite good reviews, I think. Yeah. Um, and we finally watched it. Yeah. And it's rather good. Very good. Very yes. good indeed. Yeah, who yeah. knew? Well, a lot of people did, especially the people who gave it Oscars. Yes, yes, we, we probably should listen to them a bit earlier on. Yeah. Uh, what, what was effective about it is it could very easily have been one of those films that is basically a stage play that's been filmed, where you just get some really good actors and they just talk to each other for the entire movie. Yes. <laughs> and regardless of how good that acting is and how good the script is, it would be better if you just went to the theatre to see it. Uh, what this does is it, it turns it into a proper movie and it feels very cinematic. Uh, and yeah, it's one of those films which I find very hard to fault. In fact. It was very good. It um, it avoided being over sentimental. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really enjoyable, despite the fact there were no laser swords or guns or spaceships in it. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I think you were quite surprised by how much you enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, I heard it was a good film, but I don't normally enjoy these really good films. Well, you know, the, <laughs> the really yes. good films. You need a bit of rubbish in your films. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was it was very good, very engaging. Uh, Jeffrey Rush and Colin Firth were both excellent in mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah, by the end of the film, you uh, he was really rooting for George, or Bertie, rather. Yeah, it's, it's the most pro-monarchy I've felt uh, in my entire life, probably. Right. So, Sorry. yes. And yeah, uh, the flag. it was good to see that Colin Firth is also in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Because yes. having just watched King's Speech, I'm now particularly excited to see him yes. in more stuff. So if, like us, you're behind the times of watching films, and you're thinking of something to do, and one you haven't watched, and you haven't watched King's the King's Speech. King's Peach. King's Peach. Yep. Um, then watch it. Yes. You'll, you'll enjoy it. You won't regret it. Don't delay any further. I also saw Captain America, and obviously in previous podcasts we've established that you're not a big fan of the Marvel movies. Uh, that's true. Uh, whereas I tend to be slightly more of a yes. fan. Uh, Captain America is the last movie before we get the Avengers, which is where Joss Whedon comes along, brings it all together, and does a big ensemble piece that could go horrifically wrong. Mm-hmm. Um and yes, Captain America is is a good effort. I thought the first half of the film was actually quite superb. It does a really good job of introducing the characters and establishing where he comes from and who he becomes and how he turns into the superhero. Uh, second half, less good. It becomes a bit more generic, a bit more CG action. Nothing particularly bad about it. It's just we've seen it before. So curiously, the origin story bit of the film was actually the best part, whereas quite often with these things, you just want to get past that to get to the action. Yeah. Whereas other way around here. So yeah. Have you watched any rubbish Asylum movies lately? Not since the last time. Really? Yeah. Ah, but you did watch Birdemic again. Oh, I did, yes. Uh, Birdemic, uh, as you well know, isn't the greatest of films. Uh, however, I watched it with the Riff Tracks commentary. I believe I mentioned this last week uh, about Riff Tracks, that the people who used to do Mystery Science Theater 3000, at least some of the people who used to do uh, MST3K, and they've added their own like director's commentary uh, onto it and it makes the I'll be careful here it doesn't make the movie better but it makes the viewing watching experience the movie, yeah, the viewing experience better much more fun so if you really want to watch Birdemic but don't want to suffer through the sheer awfulness of it then just spend a couple of dollars uh, on the Rift Tracks of it which is available from rifttracks.com excellent Cool. Well, uh, I've got a couple of movies coming up. I'm going to say, oh, yes. which I hopefully bring you news of next week. I'm not waiting for the DVDs, stroke Blu-rays to arrive. Mm-hmm. Um, Attack of the um, 
um, mutant tomatoes, killer tomatoes. I thought I was just attacking mutant camels then. That was an old um, game from ages ago. Are we on tomatoes, are we? Yeah. Attack, are they mutant are the or ki- killer? Attack of the killer tomatoes. Right, That's sure. coming up. And Are they mutated, though? Well, if they're killer tomatoes, then they are. That's true. <laughs> Standard tomatoes <laughs> don't kill, do they? No, no. Um, and also Sucker Punch, ah. which is meant to be god-awful. <laughs> yes, it did look fairly atrocious. It, um, it looked like... Um, Zack Snyder is a director who, a bit like we were talking about one of the films in the trailer park, he's always on a precipice between being really good and, and terrible uh, because he can tip over into just pure stylish nothingness yeah um, Watchmen I think he went in a very good direction probably helped by the fact he had incredible source material to work with yeah uh, 300 I feel went the other way um, and didn't really have the substance to back it up and Sucker Punch from the trailers looked like he just completely lost all sense <laughs> yeah so well <laughs> I'll let you know what that's like excellent so, uh, anything else from you? No, that's it. No, that's it. Okay, right. We'll now move on to our feature presentation. Yes, of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. Two. One of the more unwieldy film titles. Um, so, Simon, do you want to go ahead with this one? Right, yeah, yes. Well, give me from your point of view, because I've read the books and I know more about the story. Yes, so. whereas I don't. I'm, I'm a, a Potter film-only person. Uh, back when we reviewed Part 1... A good six months ago, was it? Or so? mm-hmm. um, my, which I actually really liked part one. I thought it was really good, except for the fact it stops halfway through the story. Um, the, the concern I had is that part one is a really good build-up, does a great job of establishing and building up the tension, leading up to something really good, and then it stops. And my worry with part two was that it was going to be all climax and no build-up. So that regardless of how good that climax is, you'd be kind of in the cinema and it'd be happening and you wouldn't get into the film. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, that's actually kind of what happened for me a little bit. Um, in that I kind of just wasn't ever invested into the movie. It didn't have that kind of... You know, most of the Harry Potter films, they have that bit where it starts off in the real world and he gets on the train and goes to the school. And you know something that kind of sucks you into the world. And yes. That, it was kind of missing that for me. I think if, um, if I'd seen part one just beforehand that probably would have worked better. Like I said at the time, I wish they'd released parts one and two simultaneously at the cinema so you could have gone out and gone back the next day to see part two. That would have been great. Um, But that said, um, it was still generally well done. Um, Most of the issues I have with it, I think are probably issues I'd have with the book as well. Yeah. The main one being that the Potter, Hermione, Ron storyline is all about prophecy. Yes. And the thing about prophecy is you know exactly what's going to happen pretty much. And you also know that you know, Harry somehow or other is going to win. Voldemort yes. will be defeated because that's the kind of story it is, uh, which is fine, but it means it's not actually that interesting to watch yeah. how it happens. Whereas all the supporting characters, the teachers and the other kids and that kind of stuff, that's all really exciting and interesting because you've no idea what's going to happen to them. Yeah, That's um, where the tension is. But before we uh, move on to much more we're talking about this, I think we just ought to say um, we're going to assume that you're familiar with yes. either the book or you've seen the film. Because uh, there will be spoilers yes. coming in the Epic next part spoilers, of our discussion. So if you haven't seen it, which would be a bit weird, yeah, there's um, a couple of you. I with the book, which would be even weirder, um, then you're probably best off leaving us now. Yes. So for you people, see you next time. Hey. Um, and the rest of you, stick around. Yeah. So um, just to recap what happens uh, in part one, 
there's a lot of camping and trudging around trying to find horcruxes. That's about it. In part two, they find most of the horcruxes, destroy them, and then go to Hogwarts to face down Voldemort. Yes. Um, it's one big action sequence, really. Except it's not. Because there's not actually very much action in it. There's very much kind of plodding from place to place, and there's action happening continuously in the background, but you never actually see any of it. There's a few bits. Well, what is in there is great, but um, I always felt, for me, the focus was always in the wrong place, um, which was, you know, with Harry, basically, because yeah. I just didn't find that storyline particularly exciting. Um, I wanted to see the, the face-off between the teachers and Voldemort's crew and what's happening. You know, there's there's so what, what we're talking about here, you're talking about what happens actually at the Battle of Hogwarts. Now, the Battle of Hogwarts yes. itself, as a cinematic experience, was, was really quite awesome with the scale of things. Did you see it in 2D or 3D? 2D. Yeah, 2D, me as well. Um, by all accounts, the 3D version is too dark to really have a proper <laughs> yeah. understanding of what's going on. Yeah, so I saw it in 2D and really enjoyed the cinematography of it all and really enjoyed what was coming. And the film did take me along the emotions I sort of had with the book as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really liked it. However, and this is why I think it's the fault of the book as well, mm-hmm. um, it echoes your point in the fact that the story you're really following of the Ron and Hermione and Harry, and particularly Harry's journey um, to reveal himself to be the last Horcrux, um, and then to face off with Voldemort and ultimately beat him, is not particularly exciting. No, it's, um, it's a bit like a tick list of prophecy stuff, which yes. you kind of know is going to happen, and then it does. Yes. And the exciting stuff, and the interesting stuff, um, is, is something which Lost also has suffered from, mm-hmm. is they created such a great world around it that by the end of the story you're not so interested in the main oh this is going to happen blah 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 blah. Yeah. you're more interested uh, in the likes of say the teachers I like to see more Snape's story would have been good in this um, yep definitely and Lupin and Tonks especially I was really disappointed because they die and they die in the book and it's such a um, oh they just die kind of you don't see it those are very important characters yeah. in Harry's it's life it's the same with the twins not... as well you know yeah. the, all, all those big moments happen off screen yeah um, and I, I've, I've uh, well, at least, at least in the book, um, I can't remember which twin died off the top of my head, but at least he doesn't matter. At least he, he it happened on the page, so you can actually see that. But in yeah. the film, we just didn't see it at all. And you know, for someone who's been through, um, that was mine. I forgot to my notifications off there. Sorry. Um, and for a character who's been there right from the start, just to sort of be given an off-screen death, it's just no, it's just a bit wrong. It seems a bit rude, almost. Yeah. <laughs> um, some some comments I've read is that. David Yates, the director, is a master of underplaying stuff. And I think in the previous couple of films, that style has worked really well. In part one in particular, the kind of uh, low-key threat that he brought to it, where there's this kind of moody kind of gathering of forces, works really well. In this one, he didn't want to underplay it. He wanted to go all out, go completely no, crazy. I yeah, more the end of a journey for a lot of people. Yeah, it, it, it needed to go more of the Peter Jackson in your face, crazy, yeah. over the top stuff. Um, you could still keep all the small character moments, which they are good at, but yeah, I don't know, I needed more action, <laughs> I suppose, is what I'm coming down yeah. to. But it's also because those characters that were involved in the action are the ones that I actually found interesting. I think yes. what you were saying is interesting because it's the obsession with the mythology that actually isn't that interesting. Once you know what a mythology is about, it kind of loses its 
uh, interest, I think. Yeah, in and the, then you've got some of the side bits, which you'd much yeah. rather see going on. In the previous films, where you're discovering what the mythology is, and it's a mystery, then, mythology. It's, then it's exactly then it's uh, uh, fascinating. And it's the same with the Star Wars films, where you look at the original trilogy, and you didn't really know how it was all working, so finding out about the mythology was really exciting. In the prequels, where it was all about the facts of it, suddenly the interest is gone, because you know you want to find out about all the side stuff instead. Yeah, and in in the prequels of Star Wars, you want to see more of like the starship fighting, which is always going to be in Red Tails, mm-hmm. um, and not then about midichlorians. But yes. anyway, we're digressing a bit. Indeed. So, um, that, that's our general thoughts of the movie. Um, I, 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 with all that side, I did enjoy the movie because it did take me on the sort of emotional roller coaster you're meant to go through mm-hmm. up until the very end, with right. the epilogue. Yes. Which is pathetic. We'll talk about that separately in a minute because I think mean, we should just ignore that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I th- uh, yeah. I mean, I agree. Um, it's n- it's by no means a bad film. It's well made. Uh, everyone involved does an essentially good job. But I feel like it's just like the focus was slightly in the wrong place. Yeah, but that's the same with the book. The book. Yes, and uh, that was my big disappointment with the Harry Potter series. At the end, we didn't get well I didn't get the ending I was wanting which mm. was more of an epic kind of encompassing we find out what the hamster stored the characters I was really upset that we didn't see much more about uh, Lupin and Tonks with the way they died yes. I was such a I was just so disappointed that they weren't given even like a paragraph and then that comes across in the film as well that you don't see yeah um, there's also some, something that struck me um, was the use of Hagrid in this film because obviously he's had a was he in it uh, yes, he had a little wow. cameo. Um, but he's such a major part of the the franchise and the overall story in that you know, he's basically Harry's in to the whole thing. Yes. Um, so the kind of dismissive use of him in this just seems really didn't strange. Work. Didn't work at all. No. Um, which I guess the question then is, should they have changed from the book or you know added and expanded stuff? Because you know, the people that like the books have liked the fact that they're close to the books. But in this one, should they have gone, right, Let's actually do well, our own thing slightly. I'm wondering if the film suffers from the fact that way back at film number one, they, the series hadn't finished. Yes. So they weren't able to structure the film series in such a way um, to reveal all the important stuff. So mm-hmm. leave a lot of stuff in the books. And the books take all the good film stuff of the films out and just concentrate on it all the way through. And that's been a problem with the series all the way through. There's been two or three really standout movies in it. Um, Goblet of Fire was really good, and also Prisoner of Azkaban. Yes. They're both really, really good, but they're sort of fairly standalone sort of movies. We've got all the, yeah. the other stuff in the background. But as movies, I think they're the best two of yep. the whole lot. Agreed. Um, but it was just too much, and they didn't know what they were doing. As like Peter Jackson with Lord of the Rings with The Hobbit and stuff, and that source material is is old, 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 and there's lots and lots of supporting material around it, mm. but he was able to pick what he wanted to do for the film. Yes. Well, the thing with that, there's such a close understanding of Lord of the Rings, you know, not just from those people that made it, but, you know, there's 60 years of analysis yes. of it. So oh, God. <laughs> people know what the story is and where its strengths and weaknesses are. Yes. You know, so you know that if you're making a film version, let's leave out Tom Bombadil yes. because it's not going to work and stuff like that, you know. Um, but you know what to keep in, what to keep out. And I think... The biggest mistake with the Harry Potter films, not from a monetary point of view, it was a very good decision from a financial point of view, was to start making them before the books were finished. If they were making the films from now, I think the whole series would have been much stronger. Yes, and we wouldn't have ended up with um, 
part seven split into two parts with the first part being like a camping trip yes because it, it not much spread happens. it all through better and, and you know things like Dobby's death which for a film viewer like myself meant absolutely nothing to me because he'd been some random CG character in an earlier film yeah. who I didn't think was important he was just like the, the comedy Jar Jar Binks, yeah well that's because know. at the time uh, when Dobby first appeared they didn't really play much on it because he didn't have that much of an important impact in the films because they just bypassed him and just yeah. used him bits. But 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 they're, 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 that's the thing. I mean, um, it uh, it just comes down to the fact they probably should have waited and then started the films once the books were finished, and then also they would have had much more of an easy run because mm-hmm. all the film, all, all the books would have been there in succession as opposed to the last few they were waiting. Yes. Um. So yeah, we're not overly impressed but we do sound quite down on it but it's not a bad film compared with a lot of stuff as I know it's just it, it, it echoes the sort of books and the fact that it finishes and it does an alright job but it could have been so much better yeah. but I'm just wondering if that's because uh, for me my expectations were more about what was going on around and the other characters I wanted to know yeah. more of the I mean, stuff I, there I was wondering whether it was something as simple as my age in the you know, I'm not a school child anymore. Yeah. So am I more interested in the teachers and some of those supporting characters just because I'm older? Yeah. Whereas if you're Harry's age and have grown up kind of in tune with yeah. Harry, maybe that their story yes. is more interesting. I don't yes. know. But anyway, we do actually sort of get nearer to Harry and Hermione's and Ron's age right at the end of the film. Uh, yes. In the, uh, in the epilogue mm-hmm. where we jump forward. Uh, must be... Well, 10, 11, maybe 18 years or so, something like that, where I think they're 30-ish and whatever. Yeah, and Harry's slightly bald, yeah. Ron's a bit fat, and Hermione yeah. is exactly the same, but is wearing middle-aged woman clothing. Yes. Um, if you're not familiar with the book, uh, which you, if you're not, then and you haven't seen the film, then you shouldn't be listening, because we asked you not to. Yeah. And but anyway, yeah. it's basically, jumps to the end, uh, and it, we, we go with the same actors into the future and see them taking their kids to get onto the Hogwarts Express so it all carries on as per normal. Now, this is a little bit Return of the King-esque um, and it's not knowing when to finish. Yes. I think the epilogue, as much, I say fun, um, as it was in the book, didn't need to be on the movie at all. No, it's completely and utterly irrelevant in every way. Yeah. Because what it shows you in terms of the futures of the characters is exactly what you expect would happen anyway. Yeah. You don't need to actually see it. Um, and it's it's just 10-15 minutes of wasted time that could have been put into some of the supporting oh, characters that, that we were that talking long. about it felt like it <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah I mean it is from the book isn't it but it felt again like they should have departed from the book cut that whole scene because you know we didn't get a goodbye to Hagrid we didn't get to see any of the other no. Weasleys after the battle essentially the battle finishes then you see the main three out on the bridge and suddenly we cut to the future. And it's like they forget about all these characters that they've built up over ten years, yep. seven films, and it seemed very odd yep. pacing for me. And and it just once again it comes down to the fact that everything is all about Harry Ron and Hermione's journey. Mm-hmm. Whereas actually the the world which was created is much more interesting than that and yeah. I think that's what we want to see. Which, which is, is the same as I was saying with Lost. And so we were looking at the end of Lost. It was all about the the the, the characters journey all the way through to the afterlife mm. um, but they made much more of an excellent job of doing the stuff with the Dharma and all the background stuff and I think what, what happens is if you accidentally set expectations so high with all the interesting cool stuff around the edge 
and then you just come down to the basic store, and if it's not really that good, mm-hmm. then you sort of feel left wanting. Anyway, I think you waffled on quite enough about this. Yes, yes. Um, so yeah, a, a pretty negative review, but it's not really a bad film. It's just that after seven years, it, you it expected should have, more. Should have been a better film. Yeah. Yes. So there we go. But you know, if you like Harry Potter, you're going to go and see it anyway. Yeah, well, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it. I did enjoy it, but I, I, it could have been better. Yeah, I think what I'm looking forward to is watching all of the films individually you know, on Blu-ray in a few years' time and seeing how they actually work when you watch them as a story. Because one of the, the great things about the Lord of the Rings films is that you can watch it as just a big one film story, yeah. essentially. And I'm intrigued to see how this how the Harry Potter films work because it could be quite a bizarrely yeah. paced and series. And if we're still doing this in that number of years' time, then we might <laughs> let you know. Yes. Anyway, I think we ought to wrap it up there because um, we've been waffling on quite a lot of time okay. about this one this time. So um, there's nothing else to add, is there, about any anything coming up? I say we've so. got some rubbish movies coming up soon, I suspect. Mm-hmm. But um, we'll, we'll put you back with uh, a verdict on Cowboys and Aliens yes. relatively soon, hopefully. Yeah, I think that's not out for a couple of weeks. So right. we'll... it's probably about right. Yeah. Okay. So until next time, it's goodbye. Goodbye. If you'd like to contact us, you can email Simon and Wayne at spiffingreview.com. Follow us on Twitter at Spiffering Review or visit our website at spifferingreview.com. Spiffering Review is an It's a Trap production.